1: to Night Light, everybody. So glad you could join us tonight. Hope that you're going to enjoy tonight as much as I am. I'm yep. really looking forward to my guest tonight. She is Gloria Amendola, who is a friend and amazing author. I recommend highly all of her books. You'll just be intrigued out of, out of um, you, you'll just be so intrigued that you won't be able to put them down. She is. As I said, an amazing author and intuitive with a passion for esoteric knowledge and dream language and likes to find the truth of things hidden beneath the surface. In her teaching circles, she blends Western tradition of research and evidence with the Eastern path of meditation and going within for answers. She's a Reiki master, trained group facilitator, and accomplished semantic drummer and works with cutting-edge disciplines in her intuitive practice with individuals and groups. She also leads international pilgrimages and esoteric tours to France, the United Kingdom, and Washington, D.C. And in her spare time, if she has any, um, or has any energy left, she, she does a radio show here on Blog Talk Radio with me. And she has some fascinating material that um, she's going to share with us tonight. I'm so looking forward to talking with her again. Welcome to the show, Gloria. Gloria.
2: Hey, Barbara. Glad to be here.
1: Well, I, this, last, um, this last adventure you've been having, I guess, with activi- activating the light codes of, the American, uh, of American evolution is fascinating, and um, you've just gotten back from doing a lot of that, and, and I think that people will be fascinated with what it is you've been doing and the reason behind it.
2: Okay, well, I'll jump right in. Um, Just got back from Washington, D.C., which was the last of our seven stops in the Northeast Quadrant of the United States. We did have people in in many locations throughout the United States, but that's what we focused on, and we began at America's Stonehenge in New Hampshire. Uh, a place that is really getting a lot of attention now. And the more technology that comes online, the more they can look into the stones and the alignments. And when we were there, uh, um, Dennis, who's the owner or retired pilot of America Stonehenge, was really busy with radio shows and he couldn't take us out into the field Uh, Because he had a high demand on his time that things that just came up that morning. But he did show us that they've just discovered, even just in that site, 13 what they would call serpent walls, which, which are seen in Woodstock, New York, and they think they might be aligned to the constellation Draco. So that's where we began. And I actually, along the way, found a really interesting connection when we get into the details about how that site uh, feeds in energetically when we're talking about planetary grids to Boston, which was our second site. Then we did two in Connecticut dealing with a diagonal line that cuts through the state. Then we were at uh, St. John the Divine Cathedral in New York City in Manhattan, and then from there it was Philadelphia, and we ended in Washington, D.C. I don't think I've heard one, two, three, four... Five, six, seven. Yeah, I think I got them all. And it, and and so there's so much to explain as to what we were doing, but we were working with grid points that were cited in major American cities in the beginning. And that spirit of the American Revolution seems to be now as we approach the ending of the Piscean age and the opening of the Aquarian age, which could very well come as soon as December 21st, 2020, the winter solstice. Um, I and, and certainly some accomplished astrologers have been looking at that date now for five years, and most of us are pretty certain that's it, so we'll see. And so as one age closes and another one opens, different codes of light are seared into the planetary grid because as above, so below, and the way the stars align in the heavens. Does that make sense?
1: It does, and, and it. I can see the connection also to the consciousness, consciousness of um, humanity as well being connected to that because, you know, they're all electromagnetic and we're electromagnetic beings, so it's to reason that when something is activated in, in a magnetic resonance beneath us, it, it does the same thing to us.
2: Exactly. Exactly, and and so we we were. I was talking with somebody out in Sedona who was going to join in with some ceremony and prayer out there in some of the vortex spots. This is somebody from um, New England originally, and so we we were we were deciding. Well, when when do we begin? And I knew it had to be September. And we were just looking at, okay, so it's a, it's a full moon. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a new moon. Great time to start a new venture, a new moon. And it was a new moon in Virgo, which was important to our founders. It represents the goddess. And so we're like, yep, that's it. That feels right. What I came to find out later was that on September 17th, um, the Constitution was signed, and that's pretty interesting because um, many of those delegates, I think it was signed in Philadelphia, which we definitely went by Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. And we worked with a portable grid that we used to amplify our intent. Um, I have a nice picture of it on Facebook. Um, we, you know, I was so aware that so many of these delegates were Freemasons and Advocates of esoteric knowledge, I know people today i 'm um, not sure what they think of the freemasons, but in when you speak of the The tradition of the Freemasons, they were very much into esoteric studies, like what we're talking about, and they were forming our country. And so for them, September 17th had a particular significance. And so they kind of delayed the proceedings until then because they were a bunch who liked to do uh, enact certain events or consecrate a building. Let's say the Washington Monument or other things where they would, you know, lay out the corn wine and oil, or they do it at a time where they knew Virgo was rising over the horizon. I mean, these were our founders, and this was what they were. Um, practicing. This is they felt that by imbuing this into their ceremony, into their ritual, into their consecration, uh, that it gave it more juice, more power, more spirit of time and place. It, it, does that? I'm sure you've heard of that before.
1: Well, yeah, no, it makes great sense, and I, it's something their beliefs. They were all theosophists, theosists they they were all theosophists and and so that they they didn't have a quote traditional religion but they had a spiritual uh cause that they all worked with and for.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because in Freemasonry they like you to believe in a higher power but they don 't tell you really what that higher power has to be, certainly not in the beginning of Freemasonry. I think near the end of York right Freemasonry, they may get a little specific, but not in the in the general Freemasonic tradition and so I was like, wow that 's really cool. Not only are we starting on a new moon in Virgo, this is when the founders you know um, thirty eight of them in Philadelphia signed. This, the Constitution, and that was huge because that's when we became independent and free and became a nation, so I thought, wow, this, you know, the Spirit's with us for sure. And then when I dug deeper as to, okay, what was so important that they would delay the signing of the Constitution, and, of course, you always look back to the ancient world. And in the ancient world, um, much of Freemasonry rests upon the mysteries of Demeter, uh, and the ceremonies that used to be held in ancient Greece on September seventeenth. And they involved they were really secretive, and they were they involved a symbolic, a symbolic death and rebirth experience. And it was important to the Masons and also signing the Constitution on that day because it represented the death of our country as a colony. And its birth as an independent nation, which was a huge thing in the world, uh, yeah. it, representing the death of tyranny and the birth of liberty. I mean, we take that a little bit for granted these days, but that was huge. So they they hearken back to those ancient rites of Eleusis, the Eleus- Eleusinian Mysteries um and and they incorporated that as they often did so it really was very important and i had no idea really other than the new moon when we started out which was at america stonehenge that there was so much um intent and symbolism behind it so that really that's always a good sign when you're beginning on a journey and you're going to do simple ceremony and prayer with good intent along the way So the way I see it now is that obviously we're not fighting a revolutionary war, but we're going through such a period of rapid change, uh, technology, you know, in our world, the pandemic, everything we're facing. But it's really, um, it's a time of of real spiritual leaping and evolution. And if the Piscean Age is truly coming to an end, which it feels like to me, and Aquarius Mm -hmm. is coming online, it's a whole different vibe.
1: Oh, absolutely, and, and I've, I've spoken in, in my stuff um, in my, um, on the website, the predictions that, that basically the world, especially the United States, is going through a birthing process. And yes. Anyone who has had or been around anybody who's having a baby understands that birthing is painful, frightening, yet at the end of the process you have magic. So yes, you know what we're going through at this point in time is is part of that birthing process. And you know, what people are saying, "When are we going to get back to normal?" And I keep saying, "That normal is gone. We have to establish a new normal." Right. So don't don't look to return to something that's past. Look to create something in the future.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what we were trying to do with our simple prayer. We were just trying to envision that and and what that looks like now going forward, what we want that to be. But before you know, I, I go too far off into that and in ceremony, I'd like to explain to the listeners how I see the grids and how with all the time I spent in France and England in particular, um, some in Scotland, for sure very, very ancient, actually, how they were using the grids uh, for um, initiation practices, for consciousness raising, uh, and I'm sure there's probably some aspects of this that I still myself haven't figured out. I mean, we're all still trying to figure out what the Knights Templar were really up to.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. I mean,
2: we still are. It's, it's just so amazing. But, but before we go down that awesome uh, place, the, I see the grids, this whole planetary grid network, it's living, it's conscious and it's encoded. I believe truly mathematically. Um, But a lot of people feel it holds blue blueprints or original instruction for our spiritual evolution. And that's kind of what some people think about the crop circles in Wiltshire in England, that, that there really is at least in some of them embedded codes and for some mathematical, and they're trying to help us uh, with the makers of them, not the fake ones, but the real ones. Uh, They're trying to help us with that evolution. They're seeding in the design. um, I believe aspects of memory of our, our next best version of ourselves, if you will?
1: Yeah, I, I would go along with that. I truly believe that we have the blueprint inside, and we just have to get the ego out of the way to allow it to manifest.
2: I agree with that, and I and I feel that when we have it in us, like you know Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, and when we end up at a site like Stonehenge or Avebury or Renly Chateau, so many different places, it when we're in the presence of the golden mean, that measurement that our body recognizes because it's within us. You know, we were talking at one point about the Hermetic principle: as above, so below; as within, so without. And, um, you know, our, our body feels that, um, template in nature. And that's why it feels generally so good to be in nature because it's based on Fibonacci sequences and math and a feminine archetype and you can breathe. It's just funny what, it, what, what our body both, you know, inside and biologically, what it recognizes and what happens when the two align.
1: Yeah, no, it's it is magical when you have one of those aha moments and you don't know where it comes from, and and often it's even a past life memory that that kind of jars you into the an awakening. Um, oh yeah. So many people have those moments and just kind of think, shrug it off. But the more attuned you are to the shifts and the changes to your own energy field, um, the more you're aware of of a process that is going on that is beyond your consciousness and and into your higher consciousness which is which is phenomenal and it does bring great wisdom and peace and insight and direction and inspiration into your life if you allow it.
2: Right, right, absolutely. So we know that the stars are represented, you know, of course the stars in the night sky are represented on the ground in many of these megalithic sites and we also know that the Templars somehow got a hold of those, what I'll call the ancient maps, and they then maybe put a commandery uh, or a little chapel. You see this in France a lot, but even in in certain areas of England, uh, and they're and they're very well preserved in England, uh, not so much in France, uh, because the Inquisition and the Albigensian Crusade hit really hard there. In the medieval times and really just, you know, I call it the burning times, just wiped people out. So England has a little bit of a better preservation historically, but you can still find those alignments specifically in France. You've got to get out on the ground, you've got to walk, but a lot of people are, are cataloging this and they were bringing the energy of the stars into the earth and and, and doing initiations on those locations so that we can feel them in our bodies, right?
1: Yes. Somebody has typed in a question here, and they want to know, is the grid work connected to ley lines, or are they two different things?
2: I see them as one and the same, that ley lines are part of the grid network, so you have telluric energies, you have waters, you have ley lines, you have nodal points where, you know, lines intersect and the energy pools, so the the grid network is the overall structure, and then ley lines and nodal points, waters, and so forth, those are components of it.
1: Okay. That makes sense.
2: And it's important to work with all the elements you can, and what you do find in a lot of these locations is that there's normally a lot of underground water. Like in the Great Shark Cathedral outside of Paris in France, the Templars procured that location and had the Masons build this phenomenal Um, Cathedral that stands to this day Is getting restored and cleaned And it is more gorgeous than ever And it was an old Druid Site where seven rivers Came together And the Druids recognized That form of Grid system Energy system and that they could Work with it, it was like a communication System You could receive and transmit uh, Intent, prayer energies, thoughts And so the Druids knew that. It was on a mound, and where the seven rivers came together, that was their ceremonial location. And then the Templars procured it later on and put a cathedral on there, which was, you know, radical in that time. But it was more in line with the times because they always had to deal with the restriction and persecution of the Catholic Church at that time. So, or, you, that, know, you know, and, and that's just, of course, one example. There's some work uh, that Freddie Silva has done on Sacred Scotland that is amazing um, in the Isle of Mull, in the Isle of Iona. And this goes even much further back to the Templars. It goes to an ancient culture that knew how to map those islands and work with um, triangles. They often triangulate energies in the earth massive amounts of water, stone, and they would have, like, let's say their initiates cross under Mull, um At certain times of the year, there was a functioning tunnel. I think it's in disrepair now. And they would come out the other side of the island as Venus rose on the spring equinox, which was always a sign to them of the risen initiate. Like, you made it, you succeeded, the sun has risen, Venus is there, and yay, let's celebrate you made it through your initiation.
1: Wow. I mean, it's how, extraordinary how,
2: stuff. I mean, I, the the better we get, you know, the, the more technology and software and brilliant minds that, that, you know, really drill down on this stuff. You can, like, as an intuitive, when I went to Mall, I went looking for the um, – the little church that has the very famous stained glass window of Jesus and Mary Magdalene doing the Celtic hand fasting in the window and Magdalene was pregnant in the um, depiction. It's a beautiful window. They're holding right hand to right hand. And it's um, the aura behind Yeshua shows him as a Nazarene. Whoever had that window commissioned and it was in the early 1900s they were. They knew the alternative stories. So we did find it, and we were able to really spend some time there, and it was extraordinarily remote. Like, why, why would someone do that in a, such a remote area? But long and short of it, there it was. And so when I was on Mo, I could feel the guardians everywhere, and I knew there was a Templar imprint. And lo and behold, when I watched Freddie Silva's DVD on Sacred Scotland – he talked about on Mall. There was this ancient um, tower of possibly a church that the Templars had built on Mall, and they had all kinds of incredible alignments: winter solstice, summer, Venus, the rising—you know, the rising sun. It's just extraordinary. And they were using the energy of the Earth that the ancients somehow they figured out that the ancients had already mapped out for them.
1: Wow, that's that's
0: amazing.
2: It's amazing, and, you know, I mean, I've stuck with this now for 20 years because I have been so deeply fascinated as to how in the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, they could have, been, they could have had all this knowledge um, and how they were working with the grids and how they seemed to be working with the grids in highly energetic points on the earth. With an intent to help humanity awaken.
1: Well, you know, I, I think part of what's happening is that there is so much technology out there today that that in those, you know, if you go back in time, they didn't have, you know, the electronics. They didn't have a lot of the the, the stuff that is in the atmosphere. So people were able to more clearly sense and feel um, areas of. of the the resonance and areas where there was something going on and and you know today you know, if you walk across or if you walk near some of these these sites you can feel you can feel the hairs on your your arm stand up you know that there's an energetic there but if you're not you know really shutting out all of the technology and allowing yourself to be one with the environment you you miss it totally and it is a shame because it is so. So definitely there and so vibrantly alive still.
2: It really is, and, and there's something when we get to the – because I'm going to discuss some of the individual points and in what happened, but when I reviewed the Federal Triangle in Washington, D.C., I'll explain why I did that, and I think you'll really appreciate that, Barb, because you, you're you very interested in the Renless Chateau area. The author, who's a professor down there, kind of makes that point. In order for him to verify the stars in the Federal Triangle, he literally had to drive 50 miles. He and his wife out of out of D.C. and get to a darkened area where they could actually see the stars.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's to me it's it's amazing. You if you know it's there, you you can become more and more aware of it. But if you don't know it's there, you can miss it so easily. It's just it's it's so sad because we have given up so many of our powers to technology, which is such a shame. Because, you know, we we have that, those abilities and those technologies inside of us. And, um, you know, to to not be able to utilize them and experience them is a very sad thing.
2: Well, you know, I think in our modern world, we we see technology becoming more intuitive. um, And it's really interesting to watch some of that. And yet we don't. Realize we're just as intuitive, if not more. But our world has not, we'll just say America, um, it hasn't supported that intuitive skill set. It's ridiculed it and poo pooed it, and all the while, the government has been using it to find out more how to weaponize it or utilize it for remote viewing or. Um, You know, understanding the capabilities. I I don't know if I mentioned on one of the shows. I think I did that. um, My son had actually found a uh, declassified document by the government, United States government, and it was written for Army Intelligence in 1987, and it was it was it was marked to be declassified, but it wasn't until more recently. And it talks all about consciousness and our consciousness with the cosmos. I mean, I have it. It's an unbelievable document. It's, um, wow. I think it's over 20 pages. And I read it a couple of times. And so if we knew th- our government was doing things like that, that early on, we would have probably developed in that way, um, more fully. And there are those of us who made those choices and did do it anyway, but you know we did it at the expense of people laughing at us and making fun of us and ridiculing us and saying we were frauds and phonies and so on and so forth, and yet you know there again our own government is is actively interested in what consciousness can do. On the Earth, and they knew in eighty seven that there was a heartbeat of Mother Earth, you know human resonance, but they also knew that if you entrained with the magnetic field of Earth, you could then work even further and entrain with the with the cosmos and download information. They knew this in one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven so for anybody who thinks, well, this is just kind of crazy, I mean, yeah, I could get into what the Templars were doing, but is there really a consciousness body? And is, it, is there an interplay between us and it on all these levels? And, and by working together or in training our hearts, let's say, we can actually support a consciousness evolution um, as conduits for these, these um, mathematically encoded blueprints that evolve, in my opinion, help evolve humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally agree.
2: So it's really fascinating that, you know, some of these documents actually are getting declassified because like, oh, looky here, look at what we have. Do you know? Here we go. They wanted to tell us we were crazy, but all along we were sensing, we were intuiting. And so I think that if people, and, and I think in the coming time now, people the Aquarian age will be more intuitive as much as it's technological. And I think people will, will turn to that more and more and get back into, uh, at least I think more and more people will, because not only will it provide a better rhythm for life, it's actually probably really good for the body because it can probably help eliminate a whole lot of stress if you're in flow with with that kind of energy rather than resisting it or or pushing it away or, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I've, you know, I've been part of that uh, circle where, you know, if people knew what I what I did or what I believed in, I, when I started teaching, I would have lost my job. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have put up with it. And um, I find it fascinating today that so much is, is just common knowledge and, and people just sort of say, well, that's nice, and, and that's it. You know, it's not, yeah. oh, my God, you're crazy, or you're a witch. It's... <clears throat> Well, that's interesting. I've had a few experiences too. I mean, it's just, it's come so full circle that it's just unbelievable and I think delightful. It's going to be interesting to see how far it goes.
2: I think it's going to go pretty far because, you know, having done this for as, as long as I have as well, I can see when I do a circle or a presentation now, as opposed to even three, four years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. people are coming in so much more informed. And really curious, and that's a good thing. I've never seen more people awake with questions like, "Is this true, or is that true? What do you think about this?" They're very, um, they become smarter and smarter questions, and that tells me there's a lot of curious people out there who want to understand this stuff.
1: Oh, that's that's very true, and and you know I think it's it's a good time to become curious, and it's a good time to. To start using using the gifts that you have inside, i mean it's it's not strange magic, it's something that is common to everyone and you know the the more you use it, the better it gets, the more accurate you get and, and the more you're able to utilize that in in your own development, in your own search for awareness and, and whatever your journey is, whatever direction you're meant to go in.
2: yeah, yeah, well, I think plenty of people realize that what we 've been doing for a long time has run its course most of it i mean there's some uh, there's probably certain things that you carry forward from age to age i guess but you know things that were important for us to experience and Learn about in the Piscean age, and of course there are cycles within cycles. But even if we look at the last 2,000 years, you know one of the real negative aspects of the Piscean age was power over, and in power over religion can flourish or grow. But now people seem to be, and if people are still you know have religion, that's fine, that's their choice. But it's nice mm-hmm. to have the choice, and a lot of people don't relate to religion. but they relate to spirituality and I think that's that's something that will grow in the Aquarian age because it's a bit freer it's it's a bit of it's more of that Gnostic direct experience rather than somebody telling you it's got to sound like this and look like this or you're going to hell I think we're kind of outgrowing that
1: thank heavens (laughs) yeah yeah
2: Yeah. I think
1: I think you're absolutely right and you know i i've been through that too where <clears throat> if you don't do it my way it, you know it won't work and <clears throat> excuse me um and that's not true you know everybody has their own way their own manner and and they find what's appropriate for them and that's what's right for them
2: and, and that's uh, where the innovation i think will come With the problems that we're faced with in our world on so many levels, you know, breakdown of healthcare systems, climate changing, water rising, different things that have to be addressed and dealt with, Um, no matter what they are, farming, food supplies. I think this pandemic is really making us aware of how interconnected everything is. And and so, therefore, you know, there must be new, uh, there must be innovation, I mean, just to even deal with the issues with water, let's say. You know, oh, how we yeah. use water. Is it clean water? Things like that. Um, I was really thrilled that along the way we just saw a lot of bees. I, I'm, You know, the bee is a symbol of the bloodline, the Merovingians, you know, the fleur-de-lis, the bee. And so I, and of course they're, you know, they're in distress. And so it was really nice when we, cause mo, most, thank God for the pandemic, the weather was beautiful and we gathered in circle with distancing outside and it, you know, it was perfect. And the weather really complied. And there were so many little, you know, uh, bees that came along and just, you know, buzzed and hummed, and and I was so grateful to see them because, you know, it's another issue that we face. So I think all these different ideas and this diversity is what will really um, spawn the innovation that we need to move forward. So our goal was to say a simple prayer, do some drumming, and interact with the grid and understanding it's alive and conscious, and putting forth – You know, a good vibe into the earth and realizing how people are struggling, how the earth is struggling, and just trying to find, um, to offer healing and to offer, uh, again, a simple, simple prayer. And just, you know, I love to drum on the earth, I love to sit on the ground and drum on the earth. So, it was, you know, it was that simple all along the way, and, the, and some of the people that we met and uh, some of the experiences were unbelievable. So here's one for your for your audience. We were in America's Stonehenge, and that's where we began on September 17th. And the next day we went to Boston to a very important place to me, the obelisk um, at the Bunker Hill Monument in, in Boston, a uh, beautiful neighborhood. And we got parked right in front of it, and we go up to the top, and I tell the guard, somebody who's walking around to, you know, make sure everything, people are behaving, and I go over and I say to him, we're going to do, my friends and I are going to do a little ceremony, we're going to say a little prayer, we're going to drum, we're going to take out a few crystals, I hope you're okay with that, I just wanted to let you know. And instead of somebody saying, well, you know, blah, 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 he was like, oh, my God, we're so glad you're here. We need help. This world needs help. (laughs) And it was as simple as that. And and, and so he said, I'll let the the person who's going to walk around because they take shifts. And nobody bothered us. And it was a neighborhood kind of thing. And we work with the energies in that location. And I kept saying to the group, You know, there's, as I sit on the ground and I do this, it feels to me like I know this place and that this place knows me. And I couldn't understand what the heck I was saying. But I, and this other woman in particular who has a resonance with John Adams and in Boston, she was like, Yeah, it, it feels like home. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't explain it. This land knows what I'm doing. It's conscious, it's alive, and it knows what we're doing right in this moment. So later on in the journey, I was reading a book called Gaia Matrix, and I read, lo and behold, that in the America Stonehenge energetic dimension, if you will, the energies that that land site creates and spins off. It's a very complex interplay between places that pool energy and then they beam it to another location. Very complicated stuff. Some people call it the reshel grid system. Whatever it is, you see the Templars doing it in England. And so I, I read a little bit further, and it talked about how it connected that there had been laid down in Boston a hexagonal, think Merkaba. Merkaba, Mm -hmm. a hexagonal pattern that would hold the vibration and the knowledge that the ancients and the masons as well would direct into a landscape to make it resonate in order in a certain way to provide higher thought, right? Does that sound like anything you've heard?
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
2: I, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, that's why I knew this place and it knew me because I was resonating at that hexagonal pattern in that area that somebody in their wisdom put down to make a place like Boston succeed in its intent, in its spirit of place. And it's a very complex system. So this is very arcane knowledge. It's very powerful. Um, and the Templars, again, in, they seem to, well, they're not the only ones in the more current time, but they really got a hold of something ancient, and they carried it forward. And um, it felt very Essene, you know, like the Essenes. Jesus was from the Essenes, um, the Nazarene sect of the Essenes. So I thought that was astonishing. So I finally circled around with the person who had worked with us there, And she was just blown away because it helped her understand one of the reasons why she's always so drawn there. And there was more to it than that. So, again, using these energies of this intricate system that includes the ley lines but not limited to just that and how the ancients in particular knew that this was very very beneficial for us.
1: Well, I think also it's another way for the ancients to communicate with future generations. When you think about the fact that written language gets lost and spoken language, you know, gets confused, and yet if you do something symbolically or energetically, that resonates and that stays there in that area until somebody comes along that connects to it, and then there's an awakening that happens. And it would be great to, to try to figure out how to leave those kind of messages for our future generations because, you know, time is strange and, and different things happen with cultures, and yet the energetics that we leave imprinted in the earth, you know, will stay and will be there for other people who are aware to read them, to react to them, and to utilize them.
2: You know, that's, that's very, very true, and I've run into that before. I remember in 2012, there was this young Mayan wisdom keeper. And what he said was that when he was a small boy, that his grandfather would take him to the temples, which are all stone. And what you just said about the ancients leaving some kind of imprint behind, energetically and in a temple or in in a symbol, in something. And and the stone, they always ended up using stone. Uh, it holds that, and what he said, and it really resonated with me along along the way that when his grandfather would take him, his grandfather would kind of, you know put his hands on the stones of these temples, and he would get downloaded with information and as yeah. the boy became a teenager he was able to finally start accessing it as well because this was something his grandfather wanted him to be able to know how to do, you know, passing it tradition to tradition. So what you're saying to me is very true. And I've always heard that the Templars also did that. They left things behind. And those initiates that would come in every generation or, whenever they came in a particular age, they would then access that and it would have its um, kind of its continual unbroken memory. I, I don't know if I'm broken because of the well, plague and things that happened in our history, but certainly a chain of memory, uh, like you said, and then those ideas and those concepts would be then sent out in, in, in any particular age to and it would adapt to the age, but there would always be a classic that you could go back to fund, foundationally, and they would and the great teachers would teach again, right? Well
1: yeah, and and I think that what what has happened is that you know we have we have hieroglyphs and we have all sorts of, of written language, but written language loses its meaning the further away you get from the source. But if you're talking, and energetic on a spiritual level that's clear and resonates to whatever language the person speaks so that it is a, a soul understanding of a concept as opposed to trying to say, well, what does this symbol mean and what does this symbol mean and that must say this. That's, that's often very off. It's, it's the energy within the symbols that we have to learn to, you know, we have people who interpret they're only interpreting from their own frame of reference on an intellectual level. But if you allow yourself to go into spirit and take energy spiritually, then there's an awakening inside of you that is far more profound. I believe,
2: you know, that's true. And I don't know if I've ever said this on your show and I'll leave out some of the details, but I knew years back, I knew a gentleman in London Very bright, very smart guy, and he had a deep passion for Egypt like I've had for France. And he told me a story one time that blew my mind, and I know he wasn't making it up because he was very left-brained, very much a researcher. And he said that on one of his trips to uh, Egypt, um, and I think he went about 20 times, something like that, He went into this temple alone. He had been there so many times, he felt like he really knew his way around. So I think he was staying in Cairo, um, and he went, I don't even remember what temple it was, but he went, and he had been there before, and he went in, and there was this symbol, and it had to be of the bee in some way, in the temple. And he became so entranced by this experience of, so you're saying that the symbol holds um, magic, the symbol yeah. holds energy, and it, it moved beyond language. And, and again, this is a guy who's a left-brain, hardcore researcher, and he said the bees came alive and stung him multiple times. And he left the temple totally freaked out because on that trip he was by himself, and he made it to his hotel room, and he, he doesn't remember... What happened until he awoke like a few days later, and you know, he had had all these bee stings. And you know, to this day, he couldn't explain what happened to him, but he had moved in that moment beyond his mind into a different dimensional uh, reality, and he just kept staring at these symbols, these hieroglyphs, and that's what happened with him. And I mean, that's wild, but I have no. Uh, reason to believe he would make it up because it's not the kind of story he would want to tell
1: (laughs) well you know when when patrick and i were investigating all of the stone chambers and everything patrick who was very intellectually oriented was trying to figure out what stuff meant and i would usually just lean up against the rock and listen to what it had to say and often it was it was very different from what Patrick was saying, but later on archaeological evidence you know sort of went more along with what I had said than what he had figured and and the The one thing that you know when when you were talking earlier that, that sort of triggered a memory for me was the serpentine um walls um we have pictures of several of them. In um, in the area that I, you know, in in Connecticut, and
2: okay, okay, and
1: and so I can remember, you know, Patrick Patrick saying, "Well, this must mean this, this, and this," and I said, "You know, this is this is something on a more spiritual level. This is this is giving somebody a, a map inside of themselves. This is not," and he just looked at me like I was crazy, and which he often did. And uh, you know i said no this is this is not you know it's it's not carved in stone I mean the, yes, it is carved in stone, but the message is in spirit, so you can't interpret it intellectually, and that's the same thing i I believe personally um American Stonehenge, I think there's so much more information there that they're they're looking for symbology that that won't tell them what they're looking for. And, um, I think or it will
2: lead them it. somewhere, but just to a point. Like I, I remember yeah. last year being up there, I was doing a presentation in Maine, and then I was taking a group to the American Southwest. And when I was talking to uh, Dennis, the owner, he was telling me, and I know I was meant to hear this, that I think it was the autumn equinox setting Son, that stone, he said in the system to which they're oriented, um, and I forget what that language is, that you know, they can trace now that this one goes to Teotihuacan and this one goes to this part of the world and, and that particular stone was oriented to Chaco Canyon in New Mexico and I almost fell over when he said that because we were going to Chaco Canyon and I thought who would have known that that location, um, and if they were ancient, like there was something there before the complex that we have ruins of now that they're finding all kinds of things. So what the heck was out there, you know, and, and how did they know that? It just blows my mind.
1: Well, I'm, I'm coming to think in, in my own research and stuff that a lot of the messages that are in these stones come from before the flood. In other words, they come from that time before, um, before our, our, our knowledge of what's going on here. So, so we're talking prior, maybe 40,000 years or so. And mm-hmm. it feels to me as though there was a group of ancients, teachers, wisdom keepers, whatever you want to call them, who were here and who were teaching. And they left instructions in the stone and And we have, because we think that we understand the meaning of the stones and the carvings, we've stopped looking for the real meaning that is hidden there.
2: And so, uh, you know, I agree with that, and I, know, and I know different researchers in the UK, particularly England, uh, Maria Wheatley comes to mind, Freddie Silva, but there are others. And they're doing some fascinating acoustical work. In Let's say the inner circle of Stonehenge. It's not the only one and they can tell when the sun when these stones get charged By certain magnetic energies like an Aveberry and what charges inside the circle and out and they can also find that by pitching certain frequencies in the stones they uh, form into geometries right and different ones at different times a new moon A full moon, lunar standstill, different cycles, right? Uh, How wonderfully interconnected all of this truly is. And you can see them form, and again, they form different things. And I think in those geometries, because remember I keep saying how mathematical the human body is, and, um, you know, these temples and cathedrals and the heavens, I mean, it, you know, in in le chateau I mean, we don't even know fully what's going on in that place where, I mean, just the landscape is, is, is you know, set up to the golden mean. Oh, yeah. it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I spent so much time with Henry just looking and looking and looking at that stuff, and I think I'm finally getting it. Um, so if if they were here then and they were teaching – And some people believe that after the flood, that those people of the serpent, the Tuatha, the um, Anasazi, the, um, God, I can't even think of of the names that they go by, that they would have been trying to reconstruct what was lost. And they were those wisdom keepers as well. So it could be both things. And here they leave these these places behind And, and to get back kind of to the to the um, you know um, activating the light codes of the American evolution, it appears that our founders, some of them anyway, were aware of these things and encoded, it, particularly in the Northeast quadrant, but not just there. Uh, but that's where we began, you know, in the country, and they spent you know Franklin and Jefferson spent time in France, and they were looking at, it as particularly Franklin, he, they were looking at the the esoteric mysteries. Oh, yeah. And they were using that technology to create the new, to recreate the new Atlantis here, um, in, in, in the, and they were using the geomancy and the grids and this energy um, in a way that we're just beginning to understand.
1: Oh yeah, well you know even the Bosnian pyramid is is resonating a signal, a sound. That they've been able to um, actually record and feed back to it, and it answers them. So it talks to them. So, you know, isn't that cool? Oh, there's so much going on that is just so phenomenal. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, you're. But but you know, you're right. I mean, you know, there's so much from antiquity that that we we haven't you know claimed yet, and I, I feel that you know there's 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 so much yet to be learned. And, and I do think, you know, they, they there are books out there like, you know, the well, the documentary Secrets of the Stones, they're talking to the Stones, there's and the reality is you can talk to them. Yes. But you don't talk to them in English, you talk to them in spirit and that's more listening than anything else but there are there's wisdom teachings in in all of these stones and especially at american stonehenge especially in places where where it's so very obvious that there has been intent in in creating um a spot for communication and yes
2: absolutely and in you know i because I believe all that already, I'm like, what were they communicating and how were they doing it? You know, I want to know all the mechanics, that sort of thing, because I've seen these sites all over the world in relation to the United States. They're here a little bit differently than in Europe and the U.K., but you can find them in the spirit of place, and you can get inside the head of Jefferson, Franklin, and even Washington. You know, Washington was a great surveyor. I mean, these guys were—they were—they were were flawed. Yes, people say, well, they owned slaves and they did this. I get it, but you know, you have to take history for where it's at. And they were—they were brilliant. Um, Men and there were women as well, but, you know, brilliant men doing what they could do in their time because they never said it was a finished work. They just did what they could do at their time, and I'm not advocating slavery or, you know, women being suppressed or not having the right to vote. Of course, I don't believe in any of that, but I'm just saying that they were incredibly brilliant, and they did what they could do at their time given what they were faced with, And they left a legacy for other generations to take up the gauntlet and continue on. And it's very clear that FDR, um, President FDR, also was a very high-ranking Freemason and deeply understood esoterica and you can see where he moved the Pentagon at the last uh, moment and, you know when they were breaking ground he wanted to make sure the megalithic yard was encoded and he had something to do I think with the Hoover Dam I think he somehow was involved in this in the uh, maybe the completion or another phase of work in st. John the Divine I mean he and we've even found because I know I know you've interviewed uh, Janet Walter and/or and, and Alan Butler in their book *American Nation of the Goddess*, and yeah, we can okay. see that imprint all the way up to the World War II Memorial, which I think was cited and built in the, in the early to mid 2000s, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing when the shadows fell and and you know just pointed to things. I mean, there are messages in our landscapes that we haven't even thought to think, to, to, to look for, for what they mean.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily we have wonderful, you know, people who are so dedicated and believe me, this takes dedication where they go in and and that's where my left brain comes in. You know, I read the books and, um, you know, I go and I visit, and I'm on the ground, and I drum. But then I drum, and we might chant something or do a simple prayer, communicate sound. I love the drum because I entrain with the heartbeat of the mother, and that just opens other dimensional aspects of this um, system, as you were saying before. It's it's not there is a linear left brain component, but beyond that is a very vibrating. Uh, um holistic holographic imprint
1: yeah agreed and and it's to me you know I sit back and i in, you know when you in this field you you sometimes get to you know you you search and you search and you and you study and you get to a point where it's aha, I have arrived, and then a the voice inside of you says now it's time to start again. And you know, it's like peel, it's like peeling an onion. You get to yeah. a place where you you feel I have achieved not mastery, but I have achieved you know maybe third grade level or something. You know, I've done something, I've I've gotten somewhere. I understand something. I grasp something. Not so much intellectually, but spiritually. I have a flow. I've connected to it. I've 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 plugged in. I, I guess that's the better way. I've plugged into circuitry. That, that gives me a greater brighter light as far as searching for other things
0: and mm-hmm.
1: and and always it's kind of like this isn't the end this is just part of the journey I mean yeah you know, each each lifetime is part of the journey you, you never actually arrive if you arrive there's no point to being here so right but but I feel so strongly that people aren't Paying attention to the messages that are there—that was really left by the ancients. I mean, the ancient ancients.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: it—and it, and it's time to kind of start reaching for that and and seeing what we get. And every person carries a master within, so the message everybody receives will be different. And if you put them all together, you'll have you'll have some magic that will be just profound.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always sit with people in circle at these sites and always go around and and ask people, you know, if you're comfortable speaking, what say you? You know, what did you get? And when people listen to other people, they get triggered and it doesn't have to be, well, those are all the facts. It just has to be your creative Uh, intuiting because, you know, I learned in dream school a long time ago when we used to use those principles to look at our dreams. It wasn't just one thing. It was many layers and levels. And so give people the space to feel creative and and safe and things that come out of them are amazing. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, and and, and that's everyone. And and that's why when I take people on the journeys that I do, depending on a particular group or group's vibe, if I've worked with the people in, you know, there are certain people that travel with me for years now. And so I try to have all of them in a group because they're just at a certain level and we could really go deep. But, you know, it depends where people are at in any In any given in time and moment, but it's extraordinary um, how when you uh, expose people to this stuff comes up for almost everyone. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've been doing this and you take them to, you know, mathematical or energetic or um, highly, you know, we'll call it we call it spiritual, divine, uh, sacred geometry, whatever words you want to use. I've never not seen things come out of people. In the process. And sometimes it's not pretty either if it's a deeply repressed memory. You know, it can be difficult and bumpy for them. In the end, they come around and they know they've experienced something of themselves that they just didn't know was there, like you said. But we're at a time now where that level of right brain, intuitive skill set to navigate our world, I think, will just come in more and more handy for so many people.
1: Oh yeah, and I think what 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 is so exciting for me is that everybody has an important piece to add. So it's not just one person gets a total message, and you know everybody else says, "Gee, I didn't hear that." It's 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 imperative that everyone work together because the focus of the whole thing is we are one. one. Yeah, and, it, and and if we're one, then it takes all of us. To put our piece in, in order to create a whole. Yeah. So yeah, so, the puzzle
2: pieces for sure. Yeah. And And sometimes you know, a person gets something and they're like, oh, I don't know, this seems stupid. It's, uh, it doesn't make sense, and, and I'm like, say it anyway. And it can be it can be such an integral piece when they get beyond the uncomfortable feeling they have because they can't figure out what it is so you know in general people when they get that like they'll make fun of themselves or somebody will you know tease them and joke with them but in truth those are the pieces that come in from that deep unconscious well I call it the well of memories and I mean every time I I see it happen a matter of fact when I start out my journeys in France we go to um We go to this open-air market in the morning, and we look at a St. Michael church right positioned right in the center of a measurable six-pointed star on the earth in Esperanza. And it's it's suggested that before the church was there, and of course there's a river that runs right alongside it, it's right in the center of a six-pointed star, can be measured, um, it's believed that an ancient temple was there. So somebody was always procuring and working with the earth energy, and it tended to be a more spiritual pursuit, if you will, um, a more spiritual intent in, in that regard. And we then go to Mount Bougarash in that area, which is highly energetic. Well, we go up to rennes chateau get everything stirred up there. And then we come down to that area where there's dubbed the Cathar Lake, and we sit, and I do a shamanically – Um, A shamanic uh, past life journey where the drum takes people in rather than a deep regression. Um, And we begin to stir, really stir the well of memories. And sometimes what people experience in that moment, at that juncture, carry them all the way through. The threads are consistent all the way through. And other times, you know, four or five people will see the same thing, which is amazing and they kind of huddle with each other all the way through because they're having some kind of shared experience it's it's really wild what we're capable of really is
1: well don't you think that 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 on some level people are drawn to other people that have had the same kind of that not the same spiritual journey but a similar spiritual journey so that they can you know at least share the experience and and nobody looks at anybody else and says well you're just you're just freaking crazy um, um, yeah
2: yeah, and I think it's in the emotional body a lot too because when you have people who don't understand or haven't yet um, discovered certain past life memories uh, it's it's kind of like maybe that past life memory produced trauma or grief or persecution, especially in Southwest France. And sometimes it's that resonating vibrational match between the two because they remember the burning times. And that's why Monsagura is always a really, really powerful site to go to because of the history there and in the Ariège with the burnings and uh, the persecution of that of those people and they do find each other again through time. It's it's, it's extraordinary what we are capable, of and it is such an adventure. And I think more and more as people become burnt out and this age closes, and these things we've been doing on automatic pilot don't necessarily hold any kind of meaning. We're either gonna get burnt out and so jaded, we're just gonna deaden ourselves or we're gonna to seek to find, this aspect of ourself that went missing somewhere along the line, or maybe it was never even fully activated, but now can be at this turn of the age, you know, at this, this evolution, this, this, you know, American 3.0, maybe, you know, maybe that's what we're going into. And so, so moving into each point very deliberately with intent and working with the earth energies, weather completely cooperated, we were able to engage in those seven locations along the way um, until we got to D.C. all the while holding that, and it felt very alive and, and very responsive to all of
1: us. Well, I think that, that there is something to be said for group energy, too. That, that Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, while we all are on a singular spiritual journey, like-minded people getting together create a, create a group energy that is greater than the whole. So that so that that's what that's why I love to do, um, you know, um, remote viewing with a group of people or you know past life stuff with a group of people because you seem to the, the energy seem to meld together and that gives you a more powerful um, energy to work with in, an, in your own in your own journey. So it's it's almost like you create a a, a battery that everybody can draw from.
2: And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, so, that's cool. I, I've done that with uh, a group I used to meet with many moons ago at, uh, you know, the beginning um, of this phase of my journey. And uh, we had um, a past life regressionist, Maddie Hayes, who took us back to La Chateau. And, of course, I was going to France, but other people were like, yeah, I'll go. I'll see what's happening. You know, I'll take the journey. We all have fun hanging out. And it was yeah. amazing the people that had the resonant memories in the village of Rennes-le-Chateau ended up later, years later, going with me to France. Because I, I, at that point, I let me correct that. At that point, I, I was researching heavily about it, but I hadn't actually even gone myself. But we all decided, yeah, we're in, why not? After that, we'll have a nice <laughs> dinner, you know. Well, let will see what happens. And the people that I saw, there was one who didn't yet. I believe that she will. But um, it was just amazing the memories that come alive in people and what group group energies do. So, you know, the work around this stuff is really, really, to me, it's exciting. It's fascinating. You know, that's that's where I go. And I just go more and more because it's really what has uh, meaning to me now. You know, you get a little bit older and you don't really want to do the same things over and over and over and over again. It's kind of like you've been there, done that, and you want to really understand the bigger picture. At least that's me. Um, And, you know, the Templar piece for me is just so important because I believe that there are messages and and uh, artifacts that are still out there that went missing from when they brought things over here and the tribes, the, the Native American Indian tribes that then protected them for, let's say, the, you know, the Sinclairs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I believe that in, you know, as years went by and uh, different things happened, that some of those things went missing, but they're there. I, I just I can't I can't shake it after 20 years that they're there.
1: Well, it's 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 juicy. It's it's so juicy. It's amazing because you do know you do know that after all this time, there has to be something to the legends. They aren't they aren't make believe. They aren't fairy stories. They they are are speaking of something profound. And right. You know, you and when you know, people,
2: you know, some of the so-called ex- experts will say, oh, well, no, there's really there's really nothing there. They were doing this, this, and this. And I start to question them. Have you ever been here? Have you ever looked at this? Have you ever seen that mystery? Have you ever been on the ground and really looked at that? Um, you know, they haven't. And, you know, people get stuck in academia and, you know, they limit themselves and then they want to say what everybody else is saying is a hoax. But when you really go with an open mind and use both sides of your brain, in your heart in in particular, you can really just discover some amazing stuff. This is what I'm writing about now, because I finally feel like I have an intelligent enough grasp that I can write about it and maybe not offer conclusions, but offer further pathways of discovery.
1: Well, you know, uh, Bill Mann has spoken often about the, the Templar treasure and where he thinks it is actually buried. And, it's just not time to dig it up. And you know, he's talking made, about Montana. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, because...
1: And, well, I in, and I keep thinking, you know, the Holy Grail could be so many different things. Everybody thinks it's a cup or a bowl or a chalice or something. And I'm not sure that's the case. I think that it, it can be something even more esoteric than that. And I do believe that there may be... Some, some artifacts that are buried in Montana, but the Templars never buried everything all in the same place.
2: Right, so and to half- me that's very indicative of their Essene roots, because yeah. the Essenes had repositories all over. They had a, from what I understand, they had an international network, and the Templars their ancient roots were in the Essene community. Um, that's what I've been able to uh, put together, and I'm not the only one who believes that, but but that makes sense to me. And we we can follow an seen path in this country, and I believe that the Templars were following it once they made um, a landfall in either you know Canada and came down, or went across and came down, or came into the New England area of our country, and then kept going westward and it 's even believed that they had um a presence at some point in chaco canyon and i've i 've been there twice and i 've really been mesmerized by the possibility that they were actually there and Then I asked myself, what were they really looking for because if you If you trust the date so far as when the indigenous peoples were there it's a little bit before the Templars, even when they weren't officially organized, but they were already together as a as an yeah. order. Um, so I don't know, but I, I do believe, well, like in Bill Mann's, remember, and I think you had him on when he came out with the second novel, The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar, yes. right? Yeah. And remember, that had a lot to do with Albert Pike. Yes. And in the letters in the book um, – One of them that really struck me, and this is something we were talking about earlier, but when I think Pike writes to the Canadian general, no, 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 I think it's actually he's writing to the President of the United States at the time, and he has just passed his initiations to become a Mason. I will fact check this, but I remember in the letter being blown away that he not only talks about certain esoteric things, But he talks about the ancient people, like you've now understood some of the knowledge of – and and the people – was it the people prior to the flood, the pre-flood people? It was some kind of phrasing like that where we were talking about, you were talking about them being here 40,000 years ago in teaching, and I'm talking also about the ones that survived the flood, who were the wisdom keepers, the people of the serpent, the Tuatha, all those, the Anasazi, which you see out west, and how they were doing that. Pike actually refers to those people in that letter, um, and I know you and I both read the book. I'd have to go back because there's so many details to everything. Oh, yeah. And they seemed to know about all of that as well. So when we look at Jefferson and we look at Washington and we look at Franklin and all these masons and we look at Pike later on, I mean, Pike was a character. And he had, he had really good points in being according to the book, favorable to the Native Americans, wondering maybe did they know where the Holy Grail was. And yet he was terrible when it came to the plight of of, um, uh, the the African slaves.
1: Yeah, well, Laird Scranton um, goes way, way back and talks of ancient cultures saying, you know, asking you know where did this wisdom come from? Where did this technology come from? And they all go back to um, Scarab Ray, and uh, and and other places that were teaching centers. And he felt that Gopeki Gopekli Tepe was one of them, and that these there were eight of them mystery teachers that not that not only came from off world, but were not in in physical form. Who were the people that taught? About fire and geometry, and, and and this this would go back to pre-flood. So, interesting thoughts. You no, know, it's and, interesting and,
2: you say they weren't informed because I remember one time being in Southwest France, and it was before a group was starting. So I had a couple of days to roam around, and somebody had told me about an old Magdalen Chapel hidden way back in the woods in a, in a town I knew in a village, not, not even a town, a village. And it was on private property. And she got permission for me to go into that chapel. And I did with this, um, uh, woman that I knew from Denmark and we went in there and it was a mess. It was old. It was, it was just, a mess. So we cleaned it all up and we sat in there and we sang some songs and I started to drum. And I said to the woman who was with me, cause I didn't know her that well. And I said, I'm probably going to channel. So if you see that, or hear me, just know that's what I'm doing. And you know, I was preparing her. So we, I did some drumming for quite some time and Magdalene came through and I channeled in and I had my phone and I recorded it and when i listened to the playback but i'll never forget the visual that came through is that she told me now this is channeled material so take that that's the source she yep. said that when she lived more outside of the rennes chateau area she would make passage from there to a let le ben which um had in in Hard to to explain this quickly, but the, I believe in what I've seen on the ground there that prior to the Abbey in, in the you know Christian slash Catholic religious ish uh, you know wars and battles and everything else that went on there, there was a goddess temple, and they were doing their work. So when Magdalene was saying that. You know, I was really connecting the dots, well, after, when I was listening to it. But she said when she, she, had, um, she had protectors that would bring her, because it was back then it was a good distance. And there were times in her journey when she got closer to Olat-Le-Ben, near where the chapel was that we were in, that there was a community of what she referred to as star children there and they used to like she could see them when she made passage over there to do her her work maybe it was cyclical at the full moon or the equinox solstice and that the 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 way she knew that like they would kind of hide behind the the doorway uh when people came and she couldn't understand why they were so incredibly shy again this is all coming through channeled and that when she saw one one time kind of lift its garment and she said underneath there was no form; it was light. When you reminded me of that when you were talking, and I was startled by that. And she said she believed that they were star children, and that there was a group of them there, and um, they were just holding a very, very high vibration. And it was the kind of thing where I guess they could put a robe on and take form but really, in truth, they were light, or at least mostly light. I don't know. It was just the wildest, With, uh, one of the wildest things I've ever channeled.
0: These,
1: uh, the, I know the in the Orkney Islands, Scarabray, that was a teaching center, too, and many ancient cultures talked about eight teachers, and, and the number eight, it, it seems strange to me, because I've not heard of the eight being so symbolic, but uh, the Dogon religion, um, mm-hmm. the Dogon culture, not religion, um, and, and many other really ancient cultures all speak of a group of eight that came to teach, that shared the wisdom, and, and the Egyptians as well. It was yeah,
2: and, and I know Tim Wallace Murphy in, in his very well known, God, God rest in peace, God I miss him. Tim uh, wrote in his very um, popular book on Rosslyn in The Guardians of the Holy Grail. He wrote, he showed how, he showed the geometry that was encoded in Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And of course, Scarabray is way to the north. And mm-hmm. he, uh, when you unfold the Maltese cross, you have, I believe, eight points. And he talked about how the eight was a number, and, of course, numbers could have multiple meanings, but he talked about how it was a number of initiation and it was encoded there. And, of course, where Rossland Chapel sits, that's where the end of the Da Vinci Code, that chapel yeah. where the Guardians came to see Sophie, you know, who worked with Tom Hanks' character, of course, Langdon. Um, yeah. But that was an ancient, ancient site, and it connects back. To measurements that people believe are connected to Atlantis, if you will, a whole nother story. And when I took a group back there in 2018, we were we went all the way up to Sky, the Isle of Sky, which is very high vibe. I mean, it's whoo, you can get dizzy. And it's some people believe that up there, um, pieces or parcels of land that are above water are actually from, we'll call it Atlantis. It may have been something else, but that great ancient motherland that when you're walking up there on the ground today, like it never went, not every piece on the planet went down. There were some that I guess they say stayed above water. Um, not sure, but it boy, it felt like it was a different world. So when you're talking about Scarabray, I could only imagine from... You know I think Scarabray is still north of sky i 've never gone to Scarabray yet, but i mean the 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 vibration of those places and the astronomically encoded alignments in the stones are like through the roof they 're unbelievable oh, yeah.
1: and and all of these cultures say that these teachers came to teach people from the different tribes and then they were sent back to the tribes to share the knowledge and the wisdom and of course. And, and the other parts of the teachings, but that at some point in time, they all went away. So
2: some people, yeah, and, 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 and that, it, there's two things I can say to that. That connects to the serpent walls, and one thing I was told by my guide when we were in Woodstock, but I believe they went away because the vibration or the energetics or the magnetics of earth was not sustainable to them. You know, just like when our, when our astronauts go out in space, they have to wear gear that simulates our our atmosphere, right? So they could breathe and stay alive while they're in a, in an environment that doesn't support that it has to be artificially supported. But I often wonder if it had to do with, with magnetics. And I know that when we were taken to the site in Woodstock, that had serpentine walls or serpent walls connected to Draco. What our guide said, and this is just um, kind of a paraphrasing, that in this astronomical connection between above and below, sky and earth, that these ancient beings who were very advanced could read them and know by the cycles of time when it was a good time to be on planet Earth, And when they wanted out, because it was dark, it was not of their liking.
1: Could be that, or it could be they were, um, I mean, lots of possibilities, but it it could be that they were here not only to impart knowledge and wisdom into the cultures that were here, but to impart it to stones as well, so so that at some point in time, even if what they've taught was forgotten, that someplace encoded on in the planet is the wisdom that they came to share and the reason for it. And and maybe they had a non intervention code too, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. you share knowledge and wisdom but you can't lead them once you give them the knowledge and wisdom you have to leave and let them do with it as they will.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In my okay. channeling, and um, as some of the listeners may remember, but just before this pandemic, um, well, started at the at, at the end of December 2019, as I've said, uh, Archangel Michael or ET Michael, Advanced Being Michael came, and he had showed me the dream, and and I later on by the end of I don't know January 5th, I don't know, maybe it was even later than that, I realized that he was showing me the pandemic. Um, but I had no no, no, key, no um, precedent for it, so I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, duh, I was right in front of my face and I couldn't figure it out. But what he did say and has continued to say in his, you know, vi- the, the visions he shows and the words that have been completely spot on, he says, if you stay in the heart in a in a in a vibe of love of loving energy we can we meaning me and the benevolent ones we can reach you and we can offer instruction that will be an asset to you at this time. But if you shrink or contract in fear, we can't reach you. You can't hear us in that vibration. and uh, I, I, But, you know, it's like here, we can offer this to you and we can, we can show you how to use this Merkaba vehicle and other techniques to help yourself at this time. But they don't, at that level, they don't force anything upon you.
1: Well, I think in, in many ways, the pandemic forced us all into isolation to find out who we were individually i think it was a gift i mean a strange gift but i think we were forced to withdraw from groups so we could find out where we stood within ourselves and those people who used the time to do that are far richer today not not monetarily unfortunately but, but are far richer and, and more secure and more stable because they spent the time going inside and working within themselves in, instead of, you know, complaining and wrestling with other stuff. Um, I, I think it was, I think, I think the whole thing, um, I mean, it, it's a horrible thing, but it, it forced the entire world to, yeah. to, to stop Dead in their tracks and take a look at what they were doing with their lives. And lots of people lost jobs, but in, in, in the losing of the jobs, they found other ways to, to support themselves that were healthier and that were more resonant to their talents and their gifts. I mean, yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff was bad. I, I got that, and a lot of people passed, and, I, and, and that's horrible. But yeah, no, I know.
2: Great. I know what you're saying. I really do. It's been difficult, but there've been little pockets of silver linings where if you were able to be home or if you were able to be still for a while, there were real opportunities for all all that you speak of. It's uh it's just it's just such a crazy crazy experience to unpack and one thing that I found along the way, um, you know, with the pandemic, I was basically staying home. Um, and, you know, maybe to go to the grocery store or, you know, the post office, but, you know, really homebound. And so I don't, I cook a lot, so I don't go out to eat a lot. Um, and along the way, we would catch breakfast because none of the hotels we were at were serving and None of them had any on-site food service. You know, it just yeah. really... Isn't there right now, and so you, you adapt and you do different you you do different things. So one of the times we we were out twice we were outside, outdoor dining to catch breakfast before we then you know traveled on to the next site. And I know it's just a simple little thing; it's nothing big, but I hadn't seen it. You know, you tap your phone to this little square on a little kind of a little metal stand, and basically what it does is it gives you the breakfast menu for that venue, and you look at what's online, so there's no paper, there's no touch, It just you read your phone, and I, I just yeah. thought, wow, that's that's simple and innovative, and it solves a problem, amazing, so there is a lot of that going on.
1: Oh, yeah, I had, um, for, for when I moved, I didn't know where anything was, so I used Instacart, and one lady who delivered the groceries to me said she well she had to she had to fix her garage and she figured she needed to find a job to find the money and so she she did Instacart she she did the delivery for Instacart and mm-hmm. she said i'm going to keep this up this is so much fun i never even thought of doing something like this before but she said it's it's wonderful it it gives me a chance to be out to do things to meet to meet people you know at a distance mm-hmm. But yeah. she said, I never, it, it never would have occurred to me that, you know, I could raise money this way. And, and yeah. so, you know, so many people became so inventive, so creative, and, and have benefited so greatly from this experience. Um, I know I, I spent a lot of time, you know, doing writing and organizing stuff. I, I moved. So, you know, a lot of it was, you know, trying to be creative with packing, um, I'm gonna to have to move about twenty more times to get it right but I'm not about to think of even that. Now. So <laughs> but 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 it, it 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 gave me a chance to declutter, to get rid of stuff that I didn't need, to really pare stuff down. And so I looked upon this as an opportunity for me. This was a, a great challenge and 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 I thrived in it. I mean I um I didn't thrive in seeing the numbers of people that were passing away. I felt horrible about that, but yeah. but you know you get down to the bottom of it, and that's what they charted. So yeah,
2: yeah, you know, I no, I, I get your point. You know that it's uh, it is there. There are very negative outcomes with this pandemic, but where you find yourself, if you can be present. And if you're lucky enough to be home or, you know, really manage your, your life in that way, there there is a lot of creative innovation and, you know, different ways to look at what we're experiencing for sure. Um, we are no doubt in my mind into a, um, an evolutionary leap. And that's what really drove the whole activating the light codes of the American evolution was that we're so close to that winter solstice, and as things are are you know you know when you do healing work uh when you remove something in the energy field, especially i mean i' I'm, you know i don't do i do that work for friends now i don't Generally do that work, but you know, when you remove something and help people release something, you have to fill it. You don't leave it open. So you fill it with the Reiki energy or the light and that circulates through the body and it's healing and it's, um, restorative and that sort of thing. And I, and I just feel that as this felt and others did as well, that as this Piscean age is coming to a close, some of the lessons and things that were, um, there for the learning, you know, and experiences, and and you know, good, bad, and everything in between, you know, they're they're falling apart, and that's why it's believed at the turning of ages that um, a lot of uh, and I remember reading this in 2012 that ego maniacal personalities emerge. Um, and it has in different traditions, there's a precedent for this because it's like planting a seed for the new plant to sprout. You know, you've really got to hover over that little baby for a while and nurture it before it gets stronger and starts to grow on its own. And so in, in the, you know, the shift from the Piscean to the Aquarian age, we were out there in the dissolution of the old and we were we were sending light and, and light and then seeding a vision for filling it with something to come that would be better for our world in our opinion. And I'm sure there's plenty of people doing that, but you can put your thoughts here, you can put your your feeling and your heart into the mix and what takes hold is what takes hold.
1: Well this is sort of like I know um, <clears throat> when I lived on the coast, the, the worst storms were the nor'easters. And if the nor'easter hit at full moon and high tide, it was devastating. And it feels to me as though we are at that period of time um, astrologically. And isn't this the time in the switching of the progression of the equinoxes where we go from, from a, um, a more physical focus into a more spiritual focus? Didn't we? Aren't we at that juncture, that change of, of the equinoxes, the progression of
2: them, the precession of the equinoxes? Well, you know, we're in. We, we allegedly hit that um, roughly 26,000 year cycle, which is what I think you're referring to, around right. 2012. We hit a 103,000 year cycle. We hit a 5,125 year cycle. So all of that. Um, all those cycles like turned and clicked and boom, there we had it. But there are some people who believe that the real 2012 is 2020 and that yeah. maybe there was a slight error in dates. I mean, the Mayans were, you know, really good timekeepers. But, I mean, o- over time it's possible um, because you're only talking eight years. It's really nothing. So we are in this huge shifting, and, and physical to spiritual could be, Um emotional body to you know being free of the emotional body in the aquarian age there's you know that's a 2000 year cycle whatever it is i know we feel, we feel it in our bones and people who aren't even into the kind of stuff that you and i are discussing tonight barbara they're feeling it too
1: oh yeah and so that's you know it's kind of like this is an exciting time is it upsetting well if you want to look at it that way fine but to me it's a this is a challenge this is a whole new age we are looking at and we're here at the very beginning of it and and yeah and 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 it, like i said before we're being birthed into a new age and birthing hurts birthing is painful um the, i i've had a i've had a kid you can It's bloody it and
2: it's hurt. messy and everything else
1: yeah and and yet if you survive it and 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 most people will, um, you know there is a dawning of something quite beautiful and and like you said before, it has to be nurtured it has to be taken care of it has to be gentled along until it can can really get its feet on its on the ground and begin to flow with a steady stream of energy um, and, and and so I, I think those people and I hate the term who are light workers um, i yeah. i pr- I prefer to call myself a a bridge walker you know because i have one foot in each, nice too. i like that in each word in each world so that so that those people who are in the position that have a foot in each world so to speak um they provide the anchors and and you know not that they they have to go out and do anything or anything like that but so long as they stay stable they create a well of stability that will that will kind of merge out and you never know who's a bridge walker you just don't know but you just but, don't know but, but but there are there are enough of them out there so that i really believe that their, their their energy is is moving out there slowly and at some point will merge to create that atmosphere that is um Nurturing enough for a new age to begin to grow and and so yeah i, I, yeah, think I feel
2: effective. I feel that it's there, and I feel that many people, many more people are awakening, and I just feel at this point with what I've learned, you know, left brain, right brain, heart centered. The combination of all of it is I just feel that for me, I'm just speaking for me, I've been privy to you know, as a double Aquarian, to be, you know, a little head of the curve a little bit and see things and put the pieces together so that whether it's a journey, you know, deep in the wood in, in, in England or Southwest France or Scotland or, you know, Washington DC or wherever, you know, it's going to take me to Ireland yet and Portugal and Spain and uncovering those mysteries. But I believe that it's so important to put our voice in the mix because with time and with commitment – wisdom is there if you choose that pathway and i think a lot of people now waking up are barraged and bombarded with a lot of false information as well because again at these times of the shift of the ages it's so vulnerable that if you can have people believing stuff that has absolutely no rea- you know no basis in any kind of fact At all or, you know, uh, underpinning of the ancient mysteries and foundational initiation and and cultures and timelines and peoples and what that all is. So I'm excited to, um, you know, not only be doing the things that we were talking about tonight, but also. Uh, I, along with a few um, people, are creating a digital library where we're going to offer for free certain sources on certain topics weaved throughout the Grail mystery to to begin to help people have a focus on you know, if you really want to learn about this, uh, we recommend this book here. This is a like you know forget a lot of junk that's out there this is this is your good, solid. Uh, foundational piece and it's free they could take it or leave it um, and then more things as as COVID at some point COVID will go away uh, yeah. maybe the end of next year you know it'll be be lessened enough to where we can move about much more again and um you know, show people and bring people to these places to assist because this awakening, just like you were saying at the beginning of the show, you know, we're never going back to normal. It's a new normal and we're defining oh, yeah. that right now. And so I'm excited to um, facilitate and, and create space for people to begin to experience this um in a much different way, that's kind of cool. It's, it's adventure, and it's mystery, and it's cool, and you know there's so many interesting things you can do along the way. So I'm excited. I didn't even know I was going to talk about the library, but it is coming. It's going to be launched. Um, hopefully by the end of the year, I think we'll have it all together technology-wise. And, um, again, the initial parts of it will be free for people. Um, and then at some point when we can resume in person, Uh, workshops or or trainings more in person rather than you could do all you know workshops online pretty virtually but the real experience is still in person you know
1: oh yeah Um, you know you mentioned a lot of areas that you've you've gone and you've taken tours to you two names i kept hearing when you were mentioning them that i didn't hear you mention one was malta and the other was santorini are those places that you might be going
2: um, I don't feel the pull to go to Santorini, although it seems spectacular. But I do feel the pull to go to Malta, and we were go- I was going to go a few years ago because um, I think you've had Glenn Kreisberg on in his book oh, yeah. Spirit in Stone. Glenn was part of uh, an archaeology uh, archaeoacoustic uh, group that did research and presentations there in 2014. Uh, and Glenn, actually, for anyone who's interested, has a Facebook group, um, and you can join. Um, and some really interesting stuff is being posted on the Archaeoacoustics, which is what the Malta temples are all about. Um, so I would like to go there, but it is so remote that it takes quite a lot of planning. And I would like to make a trip ahead of time there, and I haven't been able to do that yet.
1: Yeah, I know Maria Wheatley has been there. And to Malta. Highly of it, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Even Sardinia is piquing my interest with what they're finding, you know, not only about the giant culture, but then parts of it that are in the blue zone where people are living long lives, too. So, um, you know, some newer avenues, but I think Portugal and Spain have to be explored, you know, and there's multiple timelines there, megalithic, Templar, and the bloodline. And then, of course, there's Ireland. And I think when those are completed I think maybe Malta will come in because I think it's pretty powerful there. And those are big energies.
1: Oh yeah. I, I'm I'm terribly drawn to though I will remotely do it. I'm not going to get on a plane and going there but to, to go back Lake Tepe. Um that's like,
2: Yeah, I don't feel drawn to go there, especially with the some of the um uh violence and or, you know tribal wars or whatever they have going on there mm-hmm. but I do enjoy watching the further discovery of uh the layer that's connected potentially to the the constellation Cygnus that's a whole other yeah. one we haven't even talked about um and the ancient people that were there and they're finding it goes back later and later so uh, I really keep my eye on that one in terms of what's being found, but I, I don't know that I'll actually go on the ground there. I will go back to Egypt, though. Ah, well, hey. <laughs> I will, because my first, you know, I had some very difficult past, life, uh, past lives come up there when I was there, and it was really, personally, it was very hard. And so I I enjoyed being there, but yet I was so ready to get out of there because it was difficult, and I had a hard time there. Uh, Personally, I was um, harassed a lot by the guys there. Um, And I'm thinking it's got to be this whole ISIS thing. I don't know what it was. It was crazy. But I think a lot of that's behind me now, and I could go and have a more – um a, a deeper experience and a little bit more enjoyable, although it's tough, but I will go there once more
1: yeah I think that that um, i am I am to the point where as far as visiting a lot of these ancient sites i 'll do it remote viewing wise um and mm-hmm. and uh you know it it to me is almost just just the same as as actually being there and yet I have a bathroom right near me, and I have my own bed. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Tra- traveling uh, has gotten complicated for sure, but um, I still, I still have that urge within me, so I'm going to keep going until, uh, until I no longer do. But uh, I, you know, it, with all that you've experienced, you should be able to tap in remotely and even bilocate your consciousness to these places too. So
1: yeah no i've i've you know yes absolutely and and even down to the smells, so you know it's it's kind of it's it's fascinating and um it's safe on plane fare for sure uh, <laughs> yeah in <and> hotels <laughs> <laughs> tremendously, but you know i think what what you've done is is amazing and it just seems to me that that when I, when i s when i kind of visualize a map of the united states i see so many other places that light up that are either vortexes or part of a a grid work or something that that certainly could be visited and you know done something with because it seems to me that that you've only just started Um, i i agree with
2: that i mean we did have people in sedona and santa fe and seattle and Missouri and Florida and throughout New England and, and so forth. So we did have people, uh, out at Serpent Mound in Ohio. We did have a good support system, but I agree. And, you know, I knew that when we were done with Washington, D.C., it was like it was the culmination. But like you said earlier, but we felt, whoo, in this way, what we've just done now has just begun.
1: Oh, gosh, and Mount Washington comes up here
2: too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm all in. I, you know, to me, being in the States is easy because it's the same currency, the same language, even if it's different time zones. It, when you travel abroad, being home domestically and traveling is just so much easier uh, for so many reasons. You're on the right side of the road, you know, whatever. Um, And I I actually love traveling in America. I know people say we're divided. But honestly, when I go out into into the world and put my feet on the ground, most people aren't looking to be divided. They're looking for the basics and people get along, you know, I mean, generally they do. So I love traveling in the United States.
1: Well, I think one of the things that used to bother me greatly is when you talk about antiquity, most people go to Greece, Rome, and Egypt. And the reality is is that here in the United States, we have places that are even older than those. Mm -hmm. And we we have pyramids here. We have, you know, we have sites here that that are so ancient, you, you can't put a date on it. And we have, even though the country was left alone for well it wasn't left alone see that's it there were it wasn't
2: destroyed and it wasn't you know power over it was a different model
1: yeah and and people weren't fighting to control it and stuff like that it was it was virgin territory that was honored by the indigenous people and and then the Europeans invaded it and ruined stuff but they did but there's There's still memories and energetics of those times. Nobody has ever figured out what the stone chambers were for. And, you know, it it just, to me, there's so much ancient history here in the United States that is not being taught, is not being paid attention to, Um, the copper mines. 9,000 years in, pr- in production.
2: Nobody talks about mm-hmm. them. And that and asset line from Long Island to Devil's Tombstone in Stony Clove uh, in the Catskills, if you, f- if you keep it on the same line that it's moving, which is on the navigational system, it's in that framework of, of, of execution the way they used to do it, you end up right at the copper mine. So those ancient copper mines in Michigan that you're talking about, so somebody knew – To mark that, which then became, I don't know how long it was considered native sacred land in Long Island, but where the inception point of the human asset line that Glenn, of course, talks about was Professor Pritchard's discovery, I think. Um, It's on the Graham Hancock website, but it starts on native sacred ground. Yeah. It's marked and, and, that way now today. I mean, we have pictures of it. We have people that have gone to it, and it goes right there, and it ends up. So even if the Templars or whomever were, you know, the, the ancient mariners were following that, there's a group that's even older. I mean, now you're talking 9,000 years ago. Is that that's the date for the mines?
1: Yeah, they've been mined for at least the last 9,000 years.
2: So that's way before the Phoenicians.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but there are um oh who is it? Um Osman, Rick Osman in his book, um can't remember the name of it now, but it's one of my favorite books. Up and down the Mississippi and the there's another river, there are there are what seem to be the remains of Roman forts. And he's saying it's either the ninth or the seventh um Roman army went missing, and there is a thought that they may have ended up in this country because Roman coins have been found all over the Midwest and stuff like that. So, oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. And that
1: goes way back. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, and this isn't taught in the history books. So, no, none so. of
2: it is, and I, I was actually one of um, a f- one of my friends who was with us on the journey is a retired teacher, and she's an amateur historian among other things. And we were talking about you know the history that we were following, and how if it was ever really portrayed, like the kids would be so much more interested. Oh yeah, you know, and Absolutely. we were even talking about most of us. Uh, there were there were three of us. Um, Who had watched the series on Netflix called Turn, and it dealt with, you know, that original Culpepper or Culper spy ring around Washington in the Revolutionary War. It was really cool. It was, I think, four seasons long. And, um, oh, my God, why why was I even talking about that? I have so many thoughts in my mind. I'm so excited. I I was bringing that up for what reason? There was something I wanted to share with you with that. In relation to what we were just saying, lost my train of thought when,
1: when Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark out they were they were looking for Indians that spoke Gaelic because if they could find any, that would mean that we bought we bought the country from the wrong country
2: yeah, and also too in the esoteric the hidden expedition of Lewis and Clark it 's really believed that Jefferson knew that there were certain artifacts and Um, things buried, if you will, and people that he may have wanted to connect with who knew certain things, and he clearly sent Lewis and Clark out for that esoteric part of the mission, so and it again it tracks back to Jefferson and what he really knew, and what the indigenous tribes and I know man in either the thirteenth pillar, I think it was the thirteenth pillar, not last refuge, they make their way out to the vault in Montana. And the tribes that are are there for them as well, um, who have guarded for so very long. And they do a parallel story with these two Templars. But anyway, Jefferson was, um, you know, definitely, he had a he had a hidden agenda for sure with Lewis was and Clark.
1: Was it, it Meriwether Lewis that was murdered on his way back to talk to Jefferson? Or was it Clark? I know one of them was murdered on the way back. It was
2: Meriwether Lewis, yeah.
1: Uh, so I mean there's so much cool stuff here
2: there is so much (laughs) cool stuff I know my my friends in uh, Europe and the UK when I say this like they for a long time they would just laugh at me like yeah okay you know you don't have anything old there and I'd be like oh no we do it just it it, it hasn't received the attention and then when I would say that the Templars were here of course you know even Tim didn't believe me like they were never there they were already disbanded and, and he's a Templar he was a Templar expert but I knew and now the well, pieces are just coming together it was secretive you know and and because of that I mean the Templar had a lot to do with our forming of America, uh, the, well, yeah. the Scottish, some of the Jacobites. I mean, they they were, it, you know, where things didn't work there, they were going to work here. And, uh, and, I mean, we could go on and on and on about the Iroquois well, nation and how that's connected sure. and how far back that really truly goes. Um, fascinating stuff. Really fascinating. So we, we were, we set out and I believe we did the original leg, which is what we were supposed to do. And I believe we will continue on um, as well. It was really rewarding to see all these structures, despite all the chaos we find ourselves in, in a pandemic, they're still there. And there's still a lot of good people on the ground who are doing their very best to um, adapt and move forward, Absolutely. and and I think that's inspiring.
1: And and I think they will prevail. I really do. Um, we're getting down to <laughs> four minutes here. Um, I do want you to to get your information out there so that you can send people to wherever you need to send them to, whether it, you know whatever sites you want to put out there let them know where they well find i think
2: you. the best thing to do for the hub and, and the easiest thing is for them to go to my website at wwwgloria gloria amandola a m e n d o l a dot com because from there there's a lot of stuff and I have my email address and I'm on Facebook. Um I'm not overloaded on social media. I don't have the time, but if you send me an email, I will get back to you. I do try to answer questions to the degree I can and um you know, we we it's just like you said before too, it's a challenging time and it's an extraordinary time all at once and uh so that's the best way to get a hold of me that has all the info.
1: And and once a month, hopefully you'll be back here
0: and yes um, yep. sh-
1: sharing good stuff with with all of us because you're such a such a deep well it's it's wonderful to plumb the depths
2: ah I love it and and we have a nice uh you know we have a nice synergy as well, so I'm sure once I recover from being on the road um this weekend. I'll start to really put together what that's going to look like and and we can talk about the monthly show because I'm excited to do that and you know um you're you're a veteran at this, I'm a newbie, but we'll we'll sort it out.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will and and I think I, I do want to recommend your books to um to everybody because I know um, I thoroughly enjoyed them, I ate them up. And, Thank um, you.
2: I, I put out a play that I did that started this journey, and it's up on Amazon, and I also have it. And um, it's it's a modern-day piece, but I am also uh, concluding a book that I'm hoping will be out um, end of October called Waking the Wizard. So actively working very hard to get that one done. that's my timeline, so we'll see. Uh, and it's a lot about what you and I just talked about, like going – and, and you know, being on the ground and, and doing certain things and getting the right brain vision or the message or the channeling and then the left brain and what comes in and how it comes together as a holistic experience and that we need to respect what comes through that right brain because it has its own language like the dream time. And it can really inform us. So it's the process of some of what happened to me, and I had no idea when I was starting out. I literally did not. I was confused and thought I was going crazy, and then oh my God, did pieces come together?
1: I know, and it's so great. And and like I said before, you end one journey only to begin another, which is which is the coolest thing ever. Um, we are out <laughs> of time. I do okay. want to thank you and. Um, I look forward to talking to you again, and uh, we'll, you know, if people want to find when next you're going to be here, um, the calendar on my website, BarbaraDeLung.com, will be there. This show will be up on YouTube, and if, if people check that out and decide to listen from there, please subscribe. We're looking to build our numbers. We're, we're coming close to 1,000 subscribers, and we would love to hit that number before the end of the year, so help us out if you can. <laughs> And nice. uh, Gloria, Thank you again, and uh, we will look forward thank to you you back Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, totally. So take care now, and everybody, thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure as always to be with Gloria and look forward to um, more shows. We have another show tomorrow night, and Solaris Blue Ravens has her her first show on Nightlight on Sunday, and uh, it, it will be called Neon twilight and so again check the calendar for that good night everybody and thanks for joining